Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. So today our Bible reading comes from Matthew um, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Um, and at the end of this Bible reading, we'll respond with the words on page 169. So the third point there, the gospel of the Lord, praise to you. Beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. For the gospel of the Lord, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be in chapel this morning. Welcome to those of you who are new at Ridley, perhaps today, at least certainly for this year. It's great to have you. We have a variety of different services, variety of different preachers each day of the week. Uh, and uh, Ridley is one of the few theological colleges in Australia where there's a sermon it's my great privilege to be with this Perhaps some of you have said these words. From this time forward, under God, I pledge my loyalty to Australia and its people, whose democratic beliefs I share, whose rights and liberties I respect, and whose laws I will uphold. There might be others in this room who've said, on my honour, I promise that I will do my best to do my duty to God and to the King of Australia, to help other people and to live by the Scout Law. Or there might be some who have or aspire to this oath. I, Boating with Boatface, swear that I will well and truly serve His Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors according to law, as a member of the Royal Australian Navy that I will resist his enemies and faithfully discharge my duty according to the law. Or you might be a naturalised Australian citizen, a scout or a member of the armed forces, but certainly if you're here, you're a Christian. And our oath of allegiance is the Lord's Prayer. The equivalent of all those other kind of oaths for Christians is the Lord's Prayer. In fact, 
for the first few hundred years after Christ walked this earth, if you were baptised, the first thing you'd do and say coming up out of the water is the Lord's Prayer. It was your very first words. It was your very first actions. It was your oath, now that you've been baptised, to call God your Father, to hallow his name, to forgive others as you yourself have been forgiven. So no wonder Christians through the ages have prayed this prayer so regularly. For some of us it might be in our daily devotions. For others of us it might be in church services. And by praying the Lord's Prayer, we're rededicating ourselves to God our Heavenly Father. It's our oath of allegiance. It's our pledge of obedience. It's our promise of dependence. It's simple. It's very short. Yet it orients us to a life of discipleship. But why is it so important? Why these six sentences and not a different six sentences? Is it just six tips about what we could pray if we wanted to? That would be a bit odd, or it would probably assume that you think the Sermon on the Mount, in which it appears, are just random tips about disciples. Actually, if the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon outlining the new covenant and what the Lord Jesus expects of us in the the new covenant, then perhaps the Lord's Prayer is a bit more than a few tips. If the Sermon on the Mount outlines a renewal program for God's people, then perhaps the Lord's Prayer outlines a renewal program for the Lord's people. The Sermon on the Mount reinterprets the law and re-engages God's people with their mission in the world. It helps people to think about what renewal from the inside out might be. So perhaps the Lord's Prayer does these things as well. And interestingly, the Lord's Prayer is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. As one commentator says, everything in the Sermon on the Mount leads the Lord's Prayer or flows from it. What you think of the Sermon on the Mount will impact what you think of the Lord's Prayer. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with these words about the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount ends with these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, we're asked to pray that God's kingdom comes. What you think of the Sermon on the Mount will shape what you think of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, in a sense, is the point at which The whole Sermon on the Mount rotates. 
The Sermon on the Mount is not making the law the centre of our lives, as the Pharisees might have believed. And the Sermon on the Mount is not making the temple and its liturgy the centre of our focus, as the Sadducees believed. It's not making the land the focus of our lives as Christians, as the Zealots might have believed. No, the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer is putting the Lord and the kingdom he brings at the centre of our experience of God. The Lord's Prayer doesn't use the word love or justification or redemption or grace or Holy Spirit or church. It's not trying to teach us everything. It's not trying to summarise doctrine or give us an understanding of liturgy or teach us apologetics, help us to engage with politics. It's doing none of those things. It appears right at the centre of the Sermon on the Mount. So what's its significance? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're doing something meagre and magnificent. We're asking God to redirect our desires. We're asking the Lord to redirect our desires, that our desires might work with the grain of the universe. Uh, I grew up, uh, we had pets in our home. We had a cat that didn't really like my brother but was okay with me. Uh, Her name was Shandy because... She looked like the colour of beer and lemonade mixed together. She was a pretty, she wasn't kind of a loving cat, let's face it, let's face it. Uh, She came home every few days just to make sure that we were still there. She didn't really curl up in your lap. I could stroke her, but my brother couldn't without her scratching his arms. But one thing we learned really quickly, is that you have to stroke her according to the grain of her fur. If you try to stroke her against the grain of her fur, you'd know about it really quickly. We learned that to appreciate her, you had to work with the grain, with the way her fur fell. And that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is trying to teach us. We must align our desires with the grain of the universe. Otherwise, we might find ourselves falling. Do you know who the unhappiest Christian is? The unhappiest Christian is the Christian who only lets the Lord into a part of their life, who perhaps sits on the fence, who actually hasn't worked out how to let their whole life align with God's purposes for the universe. The unhappiest Christian is one who tries to have a bet both ways, who only submits part of their life and probably the surface. It's easy to change something on the surface to align 
the surface of our lives with the Lord's will. It might be kind of easy to stop swearing or drinking or wasting money. But they're surface things. John Newton, who was a converted slave trader who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, had a moral conversion. He decided to give up swearing and drinking and profligacy. But he wrote this later. I cannot consider myself at that stage to have been a believer until a considerable time. It's easy to change the surface, but to align our deepest desires with the Lord's will and ways. That's a whole lot To redirect the flow of our lives. It's a much bigger challenge. And praying the Lord's Prayer is practicing changing the direction of our desires. So, helpful and important. Aquinas, the great medieval Dominican scholar, said, The Apostles' Creed teaches us what to believe. The Ten Commandments teach us what to do. But the Lord's Prayer teaches us what to desire. Who is on So how does the prayer redirect our desires? Well, in short, through this prayer, we're learning to submit to God's ways and treasure them in our heart. We first direct our eyes to heaven where our Father bends close to listen in. Our Father in heaven, we pray, for we are his adopted children. We pray that his name would be hallowed, a word that we don't use much more in English. We still use the word Halloween. It's the same word. Halloween is the evening, the Eve, before All Hallows Day, All Saints Day on the 1st of November. Hallowing just means making holy. It would almost be better if our translation said, holy be your name. Holy be your name. God's name, God's character, God's nature, effectively his name means God himself. May your name, may the whole world, Lord, recognise you. And we pray that his kingdom would come, that all the world would not just see that he's holy, different, other, awesome, but that they would see he is the king to whom we must bend the knee. Effectively, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that all the world would submit to the Lord Christ. Or as Psalm 54 verse 1 says, save me by your name. And when we've prayed 
that his kingdom would come, we recognize that we want his will to be done. That those who've made him Lord and Saviour would do his will and pursue his purposes every day on earth as it is in heaven. Please, Lord, may your kingdom come this day in Melbourne as many men and women, boys and girls, find their treasure in you and learn to direct their desires towards your kingdom. But then there's a sudden, feels like anyway, change. We've been praying these extraordinarily exalted prayers, uh, wishing that God would be known. And now we get down and dirty, we get really concrete. Give us today our daily bread. In this second half of the Lord's Prayer, the rewards we can expect of being a Christian are spelled out. All through chapter 6, Jesus speaks of treasures and rewards, treasures and rewards. If the Lord is our treasure, what's our reward? It's pretty weird. Our reward for living as a Christian is that we can hope for food, we celebrate forgiveness, and we look forward to our freedom. Food, forgiveness, and freedom are the rewards no Lamborghinis, no comfortable life, actually nothing too dramatic. Every day we might expect and pray that God would give us food, honouring our natural bodily need for sustenance, and that when we receive it, we thank God for his provision. It's a pretty meagre request. Give us today our daily bread. We're not even really thinking too much about tomorrow. Certainly not indulging our greed. Our natural need for food, we ask for. And we ask as well that God would bend our natural desire for justice towards forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We pray that we would forgive those who hurt us, who damaged us, who've been stingy towards us. It's it's right to want justice. We have to hold back on our claims on others and pursue forgiveness. We might pray every day for food. We need to pray regularly that we'd forgive others. And ultimately, of course, we pray that we would not give in to the natural desire, natural fear of compromise and weakness when put under pressure, but that we'd trust the Lord and his power to rescue us, bring us safely from the devil There are only three brief requests, but they do recognise that we have legitimate physical needs and legitimate emotional needs. 
and legitimate social needs. We've just got to bend those legitimate needs towards the Lord's will. So we're not meant to be suppressing what's natural to being human. Christianity is unlike other world religions, especially it's unlike Buddhism. For Buddhism might teach that we have to get rid of all desire. And if you remove all desire, you'll be a person of peace. But this prayer is not teaching us to remove desire. It's teaching us to direct our desires towards the Lord's name and kingdom and will and ways. And in some ancient texts, the Lord's prayer ends with a focus on God and your kingdom, your power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. When we pray this prayer, when we pray any prayer, we're not trying to twist God's arm, do secret deals, scheming to get a comfortable life. We are pursuing a radical focus on God himself. And in praying this prayer, we're going to redirect our desires towards him. That our prayer would be focused on him and our whole life might be focused on him as well. This is our oath of allegiance. In praying this prayer, we're committing ourselves to God's kingdom, in fact, to God's king, Christ himself, the one who taught us, who brought the kingdom near, who multiplied the loaves and fishes, and who died and rose again to secure our eternal safety. So what will it look like when God answers his prayer? How will we know it's been answered? Well, this is how the, the scriptures speak of the answer to our prayer. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for I heard a loud voice say, Look, God's dwelling place is now with us. He will dwell with his people. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. May God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 